For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Yeah, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you. I am Amanda, and I am joined, as always, by my querulous co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please be sure to find us on Twitter and make sure you're following the show there at Half Street High Heat for all the latest news and announcements. And don't forget to check out our website, HalfStreetHighHeat.com, which we update all the time with outtakes from the pod, articles, lots more. And don't forget to visit the YouTube channel, The Rundown with Half Street High Heat, which is going to have lots of great videos now that we are underway on a season that is so far dreadfully disappointing. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, uh, you know. I think now that we're what five days removed from our last episode, the uh, the, the weekend went about as expected for the Nats. Yeah, I, I guess I felt like maybe they would steal one here and there. I guess you could I, I say the we one on hopeful. opening day was the the stolen one. Because, I was going mean, to say I think we really were hopeful that. <laughs> that they would steal one, not that we were expecting them to steal one. Yeah, that's fair. But it's been it's been awfully disappointing and tough to watch. I mean. Missing the amount of their roster they were missing, obviously nobody had high hopes, but it was maybe worse than I expected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get into that in some of our Nats bet, but, you know, I, I think even though we're one in five as it stands right now, I think it's kind of where we expected. I mean, I think Ryan was the first one to point out how tough this, this opening schedule was. So the fact that we weren't at full strength to, to start it off, it's like, it's a little to be expected. And I don't think it fully, you know, um, 
it's not like an indictment on this team as a whole. They're not like a, what's that winning percentage, a 200 winning percentage team or whatever it is, probably even less than that. I think it was like 167 Yeah, or so but. that's not who this team is, but it's on them to play above what their average might be to uh, right the ship. It, what worries me is just the the hole that's being dug right now. Like if if this goes on much more and they have an, it takes another week or two for the guys who just came back to find their groove, then you know you could be in a really nasty hole going into the next month of the season. Yep. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's get into the quick pitch segment, which is this week our MLB replay issue. Like. Who, boy, have they had some replay problems in this first week of the season. My Lord. Yeah, so I have in my week in review, but just in case you guys not see it, there was two big issues with replay this weekend. Um, in the Mets-Marlins game, Michael Conforto leaned over the plate with the bases loaded in two outs. The umpire originally called strike three, then realized it hit him, awarded him first base. Mets won on the walk-off. And then last night, Alec Baum never hit touched home plate, was called safe, reviewed it. It was very clear they didn't touch home plate, still called safe. So the question is, and the question I have for you two is, how do you fix replay? For me, I was going to fix replay. I think you need independent people reviewing the plays because the people in New York who are reviewing the plays are former umpires and former umpires are not going to go against the call in the field that their fellow umpires made. And I feel like we see that a lot, that there is a lot of reluctance. Also, NFL shows on TV, the camera angles the replay booth is seeing. So what you're watching on TV in NFL in the Plays Challenge is exactly the camera angles that they're seeing when they're reviewing it. MLB doesn't tell you what angles they have which, again, is a little sketchy. So I think there needs to be a little more independence in there and not so heavily relied on former umpires because they're not going to go against the umpires. And also kind of a pride thing. They're like, well, you know, he called it. It was a tough play. We're not going to go against it. And they kind of need to disclose what angles are being shown because there's a lot of question marks because everyone was talking about last night from Bill Burr, Justin Turner, uh, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, celebrities and players were talking about out of the bag calls last night, which MLB probably loves, but right now they got a little issues with replay. They got fixed. Yeah, I would even take it a step further. And, you know, this is all preface this by saying, you know, it, it's a stretch because MLB is always the last to make these progressive changes and, you know, be with the times as we've, all know and have talked about before but the xfl had it down perfectly where not only did they show you all the uh you know camera angles that the nfl does they took it one step further by taking you in the booth with the replay official who's literally talking it out um you know and telling you what he sees and i get you know there might be some instances where it's like maybe a bang bang play or i or something like that where Maybe you don't want that on TV, but at the same time, if someone's talking it out and explaining what they see before they make a call, you're not going to get so much backlash. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think it ever happens, but the XFL certainly had it right in that regard because, again, if they're talking it out and you're seeing all the same camera angles and you can see what they see and you can kind of reach your own judgment along with the head official or whoever's doing the replay, 
I think an independent uh, person like Ryan said would be great too. Um, but if you're doing it with them, then again, you're not going to be so upset or outraged by some of these missed calls because the one last night was really bad. The one with Conforto was really bad. It it was a strike and like, you know, it hit him, whatever, like he was crowding the plate, but I'm pretty sure to caught that. But the, the one last night was one like it needed replay. And even with replay, you, you could see that it Bohm clearly didn't touch home plate. And, you know, I, the fact that they didn't catch on a replay, it's like, what the hell are you looking at? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the one with Conforto gave me PTSD to Max's perfect game. And I didn't enjoy that at all. But I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the transparency is the, is the real problem here. Like, people are going to disagree with calls. Everybody wants their team to get a call. And when it's close, there's going to be people who see it both ways. But I think if you had something like what you were describing with the XFL, where you you see the refs talking it through, you see the reasoning that they use to reach their conclusion. And if you disagree with it, that's fine. But at least you can't say like, oh, my God, what the hell are they doing? You don't, you know, you know what angles they saw, you know why they did what they did. And I think it would lessen the backlash quite a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's been a pretty dreadful look for MLB this first week. Just, you know, kind of a laughing stock with these ridiculous calls, especially when you have, like you said, like celebrities talking about it. It's, I guess a lot of people believe all publicity is good publicity, but for a league that already struggles with viewership, you know, I I don't think making it obvious that the league's kind of a joke about this stuff is, is a good look at all. Can I segue this? It's surprising we've never really talked about it, and I don't even know Ryan's stance on this. What's your guys' opinions on uh, robot umpires? Oh, I am for the robot umps. Robot umpires is it's an interesting concept because all it is is there's a home plate umpire behind the home plate, and they wear an earpiece, mm-hmm. and the computer tells them what it is, and the umpires can still change the call. I don't really know if it's going to change anything. I feel like MLB does need to embrace technology more like i think they need to have lasers down the line um a lot of sports have that hockey has on the line sorry soccer has on the line like so you could tell fair or foul also with the foul poles robot umpires are coming i don't really know if it's going to fix everything just because there still is that chance where umpires can change the call if they want but i don't know it's coming. Yeah. I don't really know if it's, it's going to everything. I do. It took me a while to get to it because I really do believe there's there's such an art to being a catcher that you lose when you get robot umps. There's, you know, when you're framing the pitches or you're, you know, calling them and said you're calling a perfect game and you're getting exactly those those pitches in there at the corner. You know, it's just there's something about knowing each, you know, a really experienced catcher knowing each umpire's strike zone and being able to cater to that that you lose when you have robot umps. But having said that, the fact that every umpire has their own strike zone is really kind of stupid. And a strike is a strike is a strike is a strike. And I think that at this point we have the technology to just get it right. And I'm willing to sacrifice some of that, you know, the, the, those things that made the made a catcher so good in the past, I think would be no longer as necessary when you have robot umps. But I think when the technology exists, you just need to get the calls right. And they, they can do that now and they need to. Yeah, I can uh, certainly see that argument, especially when you, you know, you say like, it doesn't make sense that each umpire has their own strike zone. Like in any other sport, it's not like, 
um, you know, uh, NFL official has right. like their own touchdown, you know, right. marker or anything like that. Oh, this guy lets you go just a little bit over the line. Right. And I get like, the- you know, there might be some like, I guess, an NBA and I guess hockey, I, I guess all the other sports when they're like there's fouls and stuff, you know, some people, some refs might let that go. But it that's more of how physical you let everyone play as opposed to literally the is it a ball or is it a strike is it you know right or was he offsides or was he not offsides like those kinds of things aren't judgment calls right yeah a ball ball strike is like a touchdown catch versus not touchdown catch like there's a definitive although don't get us into the argument about what is and isn't a catch in the NFL but but. I, I just see you both ways I you know I do enjoy the human element of an umpire like you know a big strike three call whether it obviously you you hope that it goes in your favor but there's that human element to an umpire that's kind of like brings you back into the game a little bit whereas i don't know i guess if they're wearing an earpiece you still do get the human element i I know there's there's gonna be people like joe west that just call their own balls and strikes anyways Uh, like you know there's going to be umpires that do that so and we still get plays at the plate and judgment calls on like safe out but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm like right down the middle on it. I, I do think it's coming, but it's just pun? what right down the middle on it. Is that well, no? that's very clearly a strike. So <laughs> no, it was not a pun. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I, I think you could keep that human element with the things that truly are judgment calls and use the technology that exists now for things that shouldn't be judgment calls. Mm hmm. And balls and strikes is just one of those things. I hate it when a bad call at the, you know, a ball and strike call affects the outcome of the game. Even if it's in the Nats' favor, you know, it still sucks. It shouldn't be decided that way. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't yep. like, I always, I always use the analogy, you know, there are all these people now who hate those synthetic corks in a wine bottle because they want the natural corks. And I always laugh because I'm like, do you think that people in the past used the natural corks because they were better or because they didn't have better technology? They didn't use them because they wanted to. It was because they didn't have a choice. Now that you have a better technology, use the better technology. So, Yeah, it's almost like when something better comes along, like the DH, you should implement it rather than refuse well, to change. Well, but see, the DH sucks and isn't better. But no, that's a that's whole different argument. So the point is, for something that you can obviously get right, just get it right. Like the DH. Not like the DH. So, very mature. We're very good at this argument at this point. <laughs> I think I made my points very clear. All right. Let's move on and get our week in review. Yeah, just like the DH, the week in review is coming up. <laughs> you can't run from it, lady. It's been pretty exciting baseball this week. As we discussed, MLB has a replay issue on its hand, but that is not the only issue they have. Many players and coaches are confused and concerned about the takeout slide rule. And MLB has been criticized so far as there have been several instances this week in this season of players clearly sliding directly into players with no call. Several teams have publicly complained about this and want further explanation on what the takeout slide truly entails. MLB announced that they're teaming up with Tops to launch their first ever NFT baseball card. MLB is going to the moon. Umpire Joe West is awarded $500,000 in a defamation lawsuit. Interesting. Red Sox have become the first team in live ball era to win seven straight games after starting the year 0-3. Dan 
Davies said that the majority of the Nats are vaccinated, but he's unsure that they will get to the 85% threshold to relax some of the COVID measures. To the NL East, in fifth place are the Washington Nationals. They are 1-5 and five and have the worst winning percentage in baseball. They've been shut out three times in the last four games, but we have more on them to come. In fourth place are the 2-6 and six Marlins. They split what ended up being a two-game series against the Mets, one which ended in controversy as we discussed, but they do have some pretty young, exciting pitchers. Nothing else really going on in Miami. They're just a boring team. In third place are the 2-3 and three Mets, who, after having missed their first three games of COVID, they have had two more games rained out and just really aren't playing any baseball. They're probably going to win the division at 19-31 and because all their games keep getting canceled. They have a split doubleheader against the Phillies tomorrow. In second place are the 4-5 and five Braves. They took 2-3 and three against the Phillies in a truly exciting series that had a lot of heat and excitement on all sides. Acuna beat out an infield single that he hit 108 miles per hour, but the Braves' bullpen continues to dominate the rest of the division. In first place are the 6-3 and three Phillies, who after losing 2-3 against the Braves, have a three-game series against the Mets. No, sorry. The, um, yeah, yeah, they're the Mets. That's right. Um, Reese Hoskins leads the league in extra base hits. Um, and the rest of the lineup is continuing to tear it up. This has been your week in review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Please, if you can, donate to the GoFundMe to support Dante Wright's family, the 20-year-old father who was shot and senselessly killed by police this week during a traffic stop in Minnesota. Minnesota. You can help support his family during this incredibly hard and tragic time. This has been your Week in Review. I'd like to point out that during your Week in Review, Ryan, Andrew Stevenson has hit a home run and is no longer only Trey and, <laughs> Trey and Soto, Soto who have hit home runs for the Nationals this season. Yeah. If uh, Andrew Stevenson's the uh, third most home runs on the team, you know, that's a pretty big indictment of what we all <laughs> feared. Uh, for the season, but uh, are the Orioles legit because they swept the Red Sox, who are now seven and three? Maybe we got that overreaction wrong. Maybe, maybe so. That would be fun. It would be fun if the Orioles were good. We'll see. I don't know. I can't imagine they actually will be, but it's one of those things where maybe if it were another sixty-game season, they might come out of the gate hot and actually you know, make the playoffs in an expanded year like last year. But I don't think over 162 they're going to do much. Probably not. But, yeah, who knows? It would be fun. It would be fun to have two good teams in the area. <laughs> I might even have one. <laughs> Maybe it's it would hard be to even get one, like, if you expand to all sports or get to when you expand to all sports. I know. It's true. It's true. All right. So um, let's get into our Nat spat. Um, quite a lot to talk about here this week. So um, the replacements are gone. Um, they, you know, got most of the regulars. I guess everybody's back now, except mm -hmm. Lester, who um, isn't joining the team just yet. We'll get to him in a few minutes. Patient zero. Yes. Um, so, but everybody else is back. Um but the one that I guess surprised me a little bit, I, I had read yesterday or the day before that Lucroy was taking some um, grounders at first base, which made me wonder if they were trying to hang on to him. What do you guys think? Should they have kept him? He's certainly no. been better than I thought he would be. No, like him getting DFA'd isn't 
any type of news whatsoever. It's not surprising at all. The Nats signed Alex Avila to be the backup catcher, and the Nats were not going to carry a third catcher on the roster or DFA Alex Avila just because he missed time due to circumstances potentially beyond his control. He wasn't going to miss the roster. You knew they weren't going to carry three, so it's going to be the guy who they just signed last week. Yeah, he played well here. He's a very nice guy. I know people are upset, but this isn't surprising at all, and they should not have kept him because carrying three catchers on the roster is stupid. So great call. He had a really good week here. He helped out in a time when you know nothing really was going right. He had a lot of singles just like everyone else did, but right call. It's unfortunate because he's probably the uh, statistically best catcher in Nationals history. So, uh, you know, it's tough to see him go, but Ryan's right. I mean, obviously, Jan Gomes is still your starter. That wasn't going to change. The he's only, having a nice night tonight. Right. The only possibility for Luke Corey to stick around would be to take over Avila, but there just wasn't enough time. Yeah, he had a good, what, five-game stretch, but, I mean, four because Barrera caught one game. There's plenty of people who have had a good four-game stretch. I yeah. mean. So it just wasn't enough time, and I think I said it last episode. If Luke Luke Roy was supposed to or going to stick around, it was going to need to be over weeks of games with Avila, you know, on the COVID list. But the fact that Avila came back in time for the Dodgers series, you know, pretty much closed the book on Luke Roy. And even the the fact that they're trying him out at first, like you have two first basemen already. Maybe that was just in case Bell wasn't cleared to come back today. But, again, you already, you already have a problem on your hands with trying to get Zim playing time. You're not going to put right. Luke Roy at first over Bell and Zim. So yeah, they're it, like, it he'd never get a start at first base. It would never happen. I was thinking to myself today when they DFA'd him, I was like, it's a shame for him his second position wasn't third base. Because we right. certainly could have made room for him there. Exactly. Yes, so I'm kind of a bummer of a situation, especially for Lucroy, who I think was just like two days shy of his 10 years of service time I read today when they DFA'd him. He'll still still get it because he's still technically on the roster, so he'll get his 10-year service time. Good. Well, that is good. So of the other replacements, I don't think there's anything really notable to say. I mean, everybody knew who was going back, and, you know, now that – We've got Schwarber, Bell, and Harrison in the lineup. I mean, certainly you expect to have a lot better things, although I have to say early in this game, I'm not watching all of it right now because we're recording, but, you know, early in this game, there were some pretty, pretty, (laughs) some situations where you would have liked to have seen a lot more out of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough to fairly uh, depict or, or judge this team through the first six games, like, you know, Soto has looked good when you kind of expect that. Uh, he just struck out on a kind of questionable call. But, um, you know, Soto has looked good. Strauss has looked good. Granted, it's still been the one start we, we saw last week. Max bounced back yesterday. So, you know, it, it seems like through the first, what, six games, it's kind of what we expected. The, the pillars of this team are kind of performing as we had hoped. But the replacement guys are very much replacement guys. They're not everyday guys. And nothing, you know, kind of shows that more than Jordy Mercer coming back for his first game, going three for four. The very next game, he was our five hitter. And then he went 0 for four. 
like that that's just the state of the team right now where you have one game okay you're in a prime spot going forward granted that should change now with bell and shorber back but that's how the first week of baseball went for the nats it's whoever's hot we got to put them in situations where hopefully we can score runs and we very much did not score runs in the dodgers series not (laughs) so you know i in my mind the season in a sense starts now yeah we're in a hole if we're going to try to fight back for any sort of playoff spot. But, I mean, the season and the uh, judgment, so to speak, starts now because this is really what the team was supposed to look like. Yeah, this should have been the opening day roster. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does, you know, and we talked some last week. I mean, what what this has really revealed has is just the absolutely terrible lack of depth that this team has that like you lose now obviously you know you're losing a whole bunch of your guys at once but you know if you look at the drop off at for each of these starters who weren't able to start the season on time you look at the drop off one guy down at each of those positions is it's really really bad Mm -hmm. i mean you look at the dodgers who we just played they were out without mookie betts and cody bellinger two mvps in their lineup and they swept the nats who you know, everyone's going to point to 2019, last real World Series championship, blah, 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 blah. But the Nats themselves view them as, or view themselves as contenders, and mm-hmm. they just got swept by the best the Dodgers, team in the league without yeah. their best players. The Dodgers, though, are, there, there's nobody that, you know, that compares to the Dodgers in depth. Nobody in baseball. No, but the fact that you're taking away probably their two best offensive players and you still can't even win one game. And it's not because you had ter- – I mean, Corbin didn't look good, but Max and Joe Ross looked great, and you couldn't even win one of those games. You couldn't even put up a run. So. Do you think if the Nats had faced the Dodgers when they did – when without Bellinger and Betts and they had had their full lineup, like this COVID thing wasn't happening and they had had their full lineup in place, do you think that would have looked a lot different? Probably win one game. Yeah. I mean, the the – like Rainey hasn't looked good, and he was the one who gave up the late home run yesterday. Um, and then I guess Friday we lost one zero, so maybe that was the game to win. Yeah, but I don't think we win Corbin's start. I mean, when you give up nine, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to ask your your offense to put up ten to win. So I yeah probably one, but even then it's not necessarily a guarantee because if. Bell and Schorber came back if Friday was their first game back if they were cleared with Gomes and Avila well they still have to get their timing back they still haven't seen live pitching in over a week and stuff like that so I mean we're seeing it tonight with Bell he he hasn't looked sharp in his his first two three he took a walk his third one but um, you know he didn't look great his first two uh, plate appearances back and Schorber hit a double but you know it we can we can speculate all we want. It's it's over and done with now. We got swept by the better team, and this this team has glaring holes even still that we all, you know, pointed out time and time again over the offseason, and nothing was done about it. Yep, there is that. All right, so that kind of talks about what the topic we wanted to discuss, which is how do you judge this team so far? I mean, as you mentioned, Nick, it's not really fair to judge them much until – you know, kind of starting tonight when they have their full lineup. Ryan, what do you think about what what sort of change do you expect 
now that we have the lineup back. I mean, obviously, we're hoping to see a lot more offense. Yeah, so the good news is it can't get much worse. The Nats were shut out three times in the last four games. They're averaging less than three runs per game. They had four home runs, six doubles, and only six people recorded an RBI through the first six games. That's abysmal. It does not get much worse than that. You get these guys back. Zim is no longer hitting fourth. Castro is no longer hitting fifth. Hernan Perez with his negative 34 OPS plus. <laughs> and by the, by the way, 100 is league average for that. He's out of the lineup. That right there is going to help. You have Schwarber, uh, sorry, you have Bell behind Soto. Schwarber hitting five. Castro moves down to six. That's a lot deeper than what it was. I don't think it's going to be the immediate save all that Nats fans are clinging for, especially with how the season started. It's going to take time to get these guys to get into a rhythm and get their timing down because they're confined to their homes for a week. They haven't swung since spring training. You know, they're talking about how they're doing VR stuff and hitting off wiffle ball. That's not the same as standing in the box facing 95 miles per hour. It's not the same. It's going to take time. Now, if a week later, next you know, Monday, whenever we're recording this, if the offense is still struggling and they're still losing, we're having a different conversation. But as of right now, you can only help it is going to get better. One of the things you have to pay attention to right now, especially with these guys back, is Juan Soto's protection. Because no one in the world was scared of Ryan Zimmerman. Soto got walked five times in the first six games. You're like, well, that's not really a lot. That's 135 walk pace, which have been the most in a season since 2000. What happens when guys get walked a lot is they either get extremely, extremely frustrated and they start chasing or they just take their walks. We saw Juan, it with Bryce. We've seen it a lot with Bryce where he gets frustrated and he starts chasing everything and he suffers. What makes Juan so special and such a dangerous hitter is his command of the strike zone. He's taken two bad swings so far this season, which is absolutely absurd. He doesn't chase, and he knows the strike zone. If he can stay patient, that's great. But his entire success of the season is going to be, can he stay patient and just take what pitches, pitchers are given to him and not start chasing? Because if he starts chasing, he's going to start struggling and so is the entire team. There's a lot of pressure right now on Juan because there's not that much protection behind them, and that's going to be the big thing to look right now is can Bell prevent Soto from getting walked because that's going to decide if this lineup is going to be great or if the lineup's still going to struggle. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we even saw it with Juan Soto. I think it was the start of 2019, and it only lasted for a month because that would be, what, his sophomore season, so... You know, everyone predicts that because there's more tape on guys that they're going to start struggling. And there's the the narrative that Juan can hit off speed, which I think it lasted for about a month. And then he started getting walked and he kind of got, you know, frustrated a little bit. But he's just that good of a hitter and has that good of a command of, a, of the strike zone. Like Ryan said, that it didn't last very long. Um, but that that's always been the uh, the big concern right is protection for Juan Soto you haven't had that since I mean Rendon in a sense but he was hitting in front of Soto not behind so now that Soto is the guy you know Soto was protecting Rendon but who's protecting Soto you hope it's Josh Bell but with this long ass swing we've been seeing it might not be Josh Bell so 
this walk issue very well could be a thing where I don't think he ever gets the bonds treatment, you know, intentional walk with the bases loaded type, but unless you're, you know, playing Milwaukee in the, in the wildcard game, but um, <laughs> I, I don't see why pitchers would pitch to him. They're not scared of Ryan Zimmerman. If Josh Bell is who he's been the last 18 months, they're not scared of Josh Bell. You know, this is what the problem was with not addressing the biggest need. And I've said it time and time again, and I think I've said it on every episode pretty much is they needed to get a big right-handed bat. And it wasn't just because, you know, they had a hole at third base or left field or wherever. It's because you needed protection for Juan Soto, who is your best player. You, there's plenty of options, but there's still plenty of options. And the fact that they didn't do it, you know, we're seeing that play out even seven games in or yeah, seven games in um, six and a half. This one's not over, but it's just, it's frustrating that, again, that we are fans and can see this yet. The people who are constructed to quote unquote, put a championship caliber team out on the field are haven't addressed it. So I think, like Ryan said, Jordan Bell absolutely helped because you get people like, um, you know, Hernan Perez and Jordy Mercer out of the lineup full time. But is it a fix? I can't definitively say that yet because Juan Soto is still getting walked at a, a crazy rate. So it's just something we'll have to see. And I still would call for a move at the deadline for a big right-handed bat. Assuming they're in it. Enough right. to make it worth a move at the deadline, right? <laughs> Which mm-hmm. certainly we all hope they will be. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about John Lester, who is the one player still who was supposed to be on the opening day roster who hasn't rejoined the team. Looks like, from what the latest is, that he's going to be at the Fredericksburg location, kind of ramping himself back up. Um, obviously, his issue was first the thyroid and then the COVID. So I'm not even sure, you know, after all of that, I mean, that's a lot of health issues to deal with. I'm kind of concerned. What are we even going to see from John Lester when he comes back? Such an such an unlucky guy. I know. I feel um, terrible for him. Yeah, we're 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 probably a little ways away from getting John Lester back. He's still not cleared from COVID protocols, so he more than likely from that was probably the one player who was symptomatic. Um, so we're probably going to be a little ways away. He's going to go to the alternate site and they're going to see how he is doing with his arm. The opposite side of that, Eric Fetty is going to be pitching more. Good news is he looked pretty good tonight. Um, went only 4.2, but still pretty good. Only thing we hope for is if Lester is healthy and he's doing okay and hope he does well when he gets to the alternate site. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. We're going to have to wait a while. Like, you, you just don't know how severe the, the uh, symptoms are. They're not really disclosing much, which I get. You know, it, it's their, you know, privacy and, and and all that stuff. But it's probably going to be a while, which means, unfortunately, we're going to get a lot of Eric Fetty because we don't have anyone else to fill that fifth spot in the rotation. Um, you know, this is the problem, just like with the lineup. They failed to add even, you know, these minor league additions for starting pitching. And now we're talking about bringing Anibal Sanchez back because the, you know, the the meat of the uh, back-end rotation options have long gone. 
two other teams, and now you're left with scraps of Anibal Sanchez and Julio Tehran and Mike Leake. It's like none of these names <laughs> have moved the needle and haven't moved the needle in some time, but it's a situation you put yourself in. So, yeah, to, to answer the question, I still, yeah, I think Lester's um, a ways away, and the Nats, <clears throat> we, we've seen them do it plenty of times over the years they're going to roll with what they have and see how it plays out and if they're you know five games below 500 near the deadline they're going to make moves they're either going to stand pat or they're going to make minor moves and watch them repeat they do it every single year they don't really make any moves to uh, move the needle in the offseason and they don't make any moves to move the needle at the trade deadline they finish around 500. They miss the playoffs. It's 2019 is the exception to the rule. And you can't take away that World Series championship. But if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, 2019 is by far and away the outlier in terms of the national success and the way they approached their offseason. Because they went out and signed a big marquee free agent, Patrick Corbin. Shocker, they won the World Series. They haven't done anything like that since or even in the years prior to that, and they didn't have anything to show for it. So it's just annoying. And that was a, a long way of <laughs> – that was my tangent on John Lester. Yeah, well, actually, though, I'd like to expand on the last point you just made, which is let's talk a little bit about Patrick Corbin, who, you know, everybody just assumed was, you know, like we've been doing so much, is just kind of throwing out last year as a whatever. It was a weird year. But what do you think about what we're seeing from him? given what we saw in 2020? Uh, I mean, this is it's too early to tell. It's his first start back. It was He was announced as a starter basically at the last minute. I don't know what the, uh, the time, um, you know, frame is to, like, by what the deadline is to announce your starting pitcher, but it seemed like the Nats waited till the very last second to announce Patrick Corbin. It was TBD for most of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And he had just traveled cross country and and, and all it of was that. the Dodgers, so I'm not gonna put too much stock in it. He didn't have a lot of control. His velo was around ninety, ninety one, which, you know, it's not like he was ever a, a hundred mile an hour heater kind of guy before, but I think we'll see him be a little bit more sharp as the season goes on. But you know, we we've had this conversation before. I don't think he finishes his contract out here. And, you know, We'll see if that if that's true, but you know I don't think he's on the same tier as uh, Max and Straws. No, oh, very few people are. What do you think, Brian? You got any thoughts, feelings, concerns so about he, Corbin? He had a bad year last year. Um, I know he talked about how the stop and start impacted him greatly, which it impacted a lot of people. It's his first start. It was, again, the weird circumstances coming back from COVID. You don't really know how much of a notice he had because how the Nats, you know, announced it, like, basically two hours before the game. Um, but that's that's just what happens when he doesn't have a slider. He's a slider pitcher, and when his slider's on, he's fantastic. But when he doesn't have command for it, he's going to get hit around like he did. Um, he wasn't throwing strikes. He was giving up a lot of runs, a lot of hard contact, and it was an ugly outing. It was against the Dodgers, but it was with the Dodgers without two of their best hitters. So, again, it's too early to tell with him. If, you know, three, four starts, 
he's struggling again, then you can look at last year and this year and be like, all right, something's up. I know MLB Network thinks he's hurt and wants to get an MRI done on him. I don't know if he's hurt, but the last year and now this start, there's a little bit of concern for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I You know, with the weird situation, I don't think you can really draw too many conclusions from this this one start, especially given that, you know, that Dodgers lineup is is pretty formidable. But I do I do kind of feel like small concern. I'd like to see after what we saw last year, you know, a lot of guys had bad years and, you know, you have to you have to acknowledge that caveat. But when you have had a bad year, I feel like you, you really have to kind of come out and show people that it was an outlier and that you're back to your normal self. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing that from Patrick Corbin. And if you look at Patrick Corbin's career, his uh, he's kind of been all over the place. So he broke, uh, or, you know, broke out with the, the uh, Diamondbacks. Forgot their name in 2012. Um, you know, had a four five ERA. Then next year had a three four ERA. Then three six. Then five one five. Then four oh three. And then three fifteen was the year before he got to the Nats. Three twenty five when is his debut year with the Nats and four six six last year. So he's very much all over the place. Three eight seven for his career when you average it out. So, you know, he he's gonna be up and down, basically is kind of what what you draw from that. He's not gonna be uh, the sub three RA. He's never been that way. But he can be a solid three starter and I think he'll bounce back. Well let us hope that's true. So I guess we'll find out. Um, yeah. Let's talk, stay on talking pitchers since we've done Lester and Corbin. Let's talk about Ross, who had a really, really excellent outing against the Dodgers. I, I'm a Joe Ross fan, so all I can say is I, I've been waiting for this for a long time, and I hope it, <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope it You continues. have always been a fan. So it was his line there, two hits, two walks, five scoreless innings, 67 pitches, 40 strikes. It was impressive. Yeah. I mean, again, this is, you hope it continues and we certainly need it with Lester out and uh, having to start Fetty. Yeah. Who actually did pretty well tonight as well. We haven't really talked because this game's not over yet. Still didn't get five innings. So, and you know, the Cardinals are 20th in the league in OPS and they're like 25th in batting average. So it's not like they're world beaters either. He got roughed up by the Braves who, I mean, yeah, they're not doing so hot through the first seven games or how much they played so far, but we all know they're better. Their lineup is deep and that was a more accurate representation of what Eric Fetty can bring to the table. But the fact that he still didn't get five innings tonight is pretty much what you're going to get. He's almost like if uh, I remember one time I went to a game and uh, Steven Strasburg was supposed to start and then he got scratched last minute and then use Mero Petit started. <laughs> that's kind of how I view Eric Fetty. It's like if you can get four innings out of him, that's what you consider a win, and that should not be someone you consider to be a five-starter. No, but it would be a guy who's great to have in, as a long reliever, which is probably where his future lies. Probably. But um, for Ross, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see him play. I've, I've always liked Ross and thought that he always has this this aura of he's about to be He's about to be really good, and then it never quite seems to come to fruition. And then, of course, last year he didn't play. So I wasn't really quite sure what to expect from him. But, you know, that last outing was promising. I hope that this could be the year that he kind of puts it together and grabs that spot in the rotation that the Nats have been trying to give him now for years. He's needed a third pitch forever, and it seems like he's been working on that. But 
the fact that he hasn't pitched in a year. There's, I mean, people are having to go back to 2019 for some tape. So, you know, it could have just been they haven't seen him in a while and maybe he's made some tweaks. I don't know what he's been working on in his off time like last year and coming up into the season. So could be he's showing a little something different. Maybe he's not tipping pitches. Who knows? But uh, we'll have to see how long this uh, continues before we can get an accurate read on just how effective Joe Ross will be this year. That sounds about right to me. So uh, one more thing I wanted to throw in here before we um, move on from the Nats bat segment, which is about when uh, they interviewed Josh Bell today before his first game back, They somebody asked him, I forget which reporter it was, whether he had been watching the Nats games while he was quarantined, and he said he couldn't watch them because he was in a blackout area. And since they, he wasn't at team facilities, he was at home, he couldn't watch the games, you which know, just struck me as hilarious. Athletes, they're just like us. They yeah, they're blackouts. just like us. <laughs> um, Noah Syndergaard posts on his Instagram story trying to watch the Mets game, and he couldn't because he was blacked out also, and it was really funny because not even not even players can uh, watch the game. Which, you know, blackouts are idiotic to begin with. Like, there's no argument where blackouts make sense. But the whole premise of them is that they want people in the areas to go to the games. Like, you haven't been able to even go to a game for a year. And now barely anybody can go to the games. Like, why in the name of God are you still blacking out games that no one can go to? They love their like, TV deals. You just want to make it so no one in your home area where your fans are can see your team. Like, it just kills me. I cannot believe we're still having this conversation in 2021. Yeah, well, it is what it is. MLB is going to refuse to change for a while, so. That's just infuriating. Yeah, okay. I, ha- I hate when people don't change when there's clearly a better option right there in front of you. Yeah, sometimes change is good. Other times it's stupid, like the DH. Anyway, let's talk about our sponsor who brought this argument to you for the 4,000th time. <laughs> heaters today's episode and every episode is brought to you by manscaped uh they have a plethora of great tools and formulations for you the lawnmower 3.0 you should know by now it is the best tool in men's below the belt grooming they have the weed whacker which is their electric nose hair trimmer the plow which is your kind of traditional razor the shears which is your luxury nail kit they have replacement blades um, some of their formulations, the crop preservers, the anti-chafing ball deodorant. It's just like it sounds. It is awesome, especially as we get into spring and soon summer with warmer temperatures. You want to make sure everything's fresh and, you know, clean down there as much as it can be. They have the crop cleanser, which is their body wash. They have their refined cologne, which is their, you know, new signature scent. But if you can't decide what to I highly encourage you to do the performance package. With this, it bundles all their products into one perfect package, pun intended. I guess it's not really a pun. That's literally the name of it. But it has the weird weird whacker, weed whacker and the lawnmower with the nose hair trimmer and the crop preserver, crop reviver, and magic mat, which is, you know, little little mat to, to clean up after yourself. But if you do that, you get free boxers and a toiletry bag with your purchase. And even better, Half Street High Heat can save you some money. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. So it would normally be $110, 
you could get for what's the math on that, Amanda? Like eighty three, something like that. Hundred and ten. The 20% off is $88 and free shipping. So $88. $88 and well, free shipping. Tax. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's $88. It is $197.93 value. So you're literally doubling your value in terms of what you spend. Cannot recommend it enough. Please use our promo code. Help us help you help us. I, one of these days I'll get that back. But yeah, can't recommend it enough. And also, please go check out our shop at T Public. Uh, a lot of great stuff on there. I've mentioned it before, but a lot of great designs. And you can get anything you want, whether it's a shirt, mask, hoodies, onesies, mugs, any sort of gift. Masks for your mugs. Masks for your mugs. And um, damn it, Amanda, you threw me off. I threw you off. Sorry. So, But you know, you should tell people. Now that people can go back to the ballpark again, make sure you get some Half Street High Heat gear so you can rock it at the ballpark. I'm actually excited to announce that we got tickets today during our socially distanced relocation for the game on April 30th. So I will be making my triumphant return to Nats Park with my husband on April 30th for that game. Very excited. Um, What is things I don't care about for 500? (laughs) Oh, jealousy. (laughs) Yeah, so we're super duper excited. We're both vaccinated now and uh, very ready to feel like you can go somewhere and not be so nervous about it and uh, support the team. And hopefully, you know, people spending some money at Nats Park will make the learners spend some money at the trade deadline. So we got to do uh, that part. Pro- probably not. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Okay, let's move on to our next segment. Ryan, what you got for us? Yeah, speaking of saving... You can bundle and save if you like. But Mike Rizzo comes up to you. He's like, Amanda, Nick, Ryan, I need your help. I need one move, one internal move to fix this team. What are you doing? It could be anything. It could be a roster move. Yeah, Mike Rizzo should come to us. But sorry, continue. (laughs) It could be a roster move. It could be coaching. It could be something from the organization, top to bottom, the front office, minor leagues. It could be anything. What are you doing? The one internal move to fix this team. Mm, that is a good one. Sure, we just got thrown at it at home. Um, oh, I hate that so much. Uh, Ryan probably saw that like two minutes ago. That's how far behind. I'm watching it on the streaming. MLB at bat thing because I don't have a TV in here. So I'm like, yeah, it's probably behind. hasn't even happened to you. Yeah. No, it all says, right. yeah, it says Ryan Zimmerman's at bat. That's all I can see. God, one internal move. I mean, I think the, the low hanging fruit is to reach an extension with Trey. Um, but I'm thinking in terms of, you know, like lineup or, I mean, there's not much you can do with the rotation as, I've mentioned a ton and, <laughs> and a ton and a ton. There's not much you can do with the rotation. The bullpen's pretty much set the way it is. So the lineup, I would... <laughs> I mean, this team has no depth. It's like, what do you do? I was thinking to say that with racking my brain, like what, what move could you make that's internal? <laughs> I got mine. Ryan, you want you start us off? See if you can't spark some, uh, you know, creative juice. Yeah, yeah. So I got mine. Um, I'm firing every single scout and every single person that's, that's ever been one. involved uh-huh. with the analytics department, also drafting because they have not had a good draft since 2012. So 
I'm I'm firing all those people. I'm going analytics as hell. I'm getting people from the Padres. I'm getting people from the Rays. I'm bringing mm-hmm. all my people, and I'm getting a whole new draft process and mindset because this team has absolutely no depth whatsoever. They went one and five and scored two runs a game because they have no depth, and I'm addressing that first. Look at the Dodgers. They pump out young talent. They were down Mookie and Bellinger, and like their lineup was still a top-five lineup in the league. So I'm addressing that to get some depth in this bad boy. That is yeah, a good one. That's a really good one. I mean, we were just talking about the uh, uh, appalling you know, lack of depth. Yeah, well, that, but the the drafts have been terrible. I mean, who was their 2013 pick? Was that would that have been Ren- no Rendon? No, 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 oh, so 20? Yeah, so okay, so that's why 2012 was the last good draft. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, 2014 was Fetty, and then that sprung along line of uh drafting guys with uh tommy john who were once high prospects that quote-unquote fell um that's that's a really really good one and that's probably the the right answer because you know you look at the lineup there's really only one way to do it and yeah you would just have to get to to kind of steal ryan's answer get more analytical you know put guys in the best situations to to succeed and it seems like with Davey he's half he he was definitely broadcast at the as this analytical guy and I don't think we're seeing that as much it's more of oh I like this guy this guy deserves whatever um so I would really push the analytics and try to get away from this you know oh I like this guy so he's going to play for me type deal I don't know. I guess this isn't a realistic answer, I suppose, although probably neither is firing the entire scouting staff. But um, I think I would just remove this, the unwillingness to go past the the luxury tax threshold, because I feel like it hamstrings them every year. They're like so glued to it to try. I mean, they've only, it was just once, right, that they went, that they went over. And other than that, they always try to to stay i can't remember the last time i can't remember if it was one or two years in a row yeah one or two but they've tried really the last few years they've been trying really hard to stay at that luxury tax threshold and one of the things you look at the dodgers like they don't give a crap about the luxury tax they go out and they get what they want and you know so they have of course built their team through young talent and that depth that they have is is a is a response your response is the wrong word is a result of that is what i'm trying to say but they also go out and they get the big name free agents when they want them and they don't care about the price tag they go out and they they sign Mookie Betts. You know what I mean? They take a team and, and put them over the edge. I mean, they won a World Series with a move like that. And I think that the Nats are always so loath to go out and do that. I mean, obviously, Corbin was a big signing. Scherzer was a big signing. I mean, you could argue Strasburg's extension was a big signing. But it's always starting pitching. Like, they never want to go out and pick up those marquee free agents almost ever. And if they do, it's always pitchers. And I just don't think that you can – you can win when you're afraid to go out and spend the money. And, and, you know, you can do the Rays, you know, have been an exception to that where they've built very cheap teams, but they're not built to last. You know, they, Mm. they go, they do it. And then, you know, the next year they're going to sell off and try to do it again. They're just cheap. You can't win and be cheap. I don't think. And I think that the Nats, they're not cheap in the sense that they are at the bottom levels of spending in the league, but they're cheap in that when it comes down to this, you know, a big, for instance, right-handed bat could put this team over the top, and they're just unwilling to spend the money to go do it. Yeah, that gives me a new one, 
and I'm sure this is something we're going to talk about when July rolls around. So we don't have to get too deep into it. The Nats need to make one big trade where they sell. Every team has done it. We've seen the Yankees do it with the Roldis Chapman, who they later re-signed. We've seen the Red Sox do it. You need to have one big trade where you sell to rejuvenate this farm system because you can't, you know. Probably more than one. Yeah, probably more than one. But if they're really serious about staying contenders, I mean, whatever. But you, you, we've never sold, really. Ever. Not, and not since they started winning in 2012. They, never they really... view it as like a, a sign of success, whereas I think we view it as this is a really freaking old team with mm-hmm. no depth. Just because you sell doesn't mean you're punting or giving up or rebuilding. Again, the Yankees did it. Um, you know, the Red Sox have done it very well over the past couple of years. So it, it's it's more like um you know a jump start to whatever the new window is or the new future of the team is so whether that's a max scherzer this year because his contract's coming up whether that's a patrick corbin maybe in a year some move, some some move left like, and, yeah, yeah some move like that to really jump start our farm system again is going to be necessary because we're you're going to have to hit on first round draft picks in order to have, you know, a good farm system. And as we've seen over the past few years, they have very much not hit on first round draft picks. And the cupboard is bare at this point in the farm system. So I think we should do all of these things. I think we should, you know, fire all the staff as Ryan suggested, get new guys in there and uh, also give up on this unwillingness to go past the luxury tax threshold and also make some big trades to restock the farm. Yep. I think Uh, Mike Rizzo really does need to come talk to us. I agree. Come on the pod. Come on the pod, Mike. Anytime. We'll, we'll yep. work our schedule around yours. Have your people call our people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next and final segment is one big thing. And Nick has made a note in our pod doc that I'm not allowed to talk about Jacob Verana for my one big thing. Because I do talk about hockey a lot when we do our one big thing. But I am gutted at the loss of Verana. So I'm just going to throw that out there, even though it won't be my big thing. Ryan, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So I got a good one. Um, This is a PSA for every single person who watches baseball and pays attention to baseball. Please stop comparing players to Mike Trout. I am so tired of people. Anytime any young player has a good start, they're like, is this Mike Trout? I, I need to put something in perspective for you. Okay. Ronald Acuna and, and uh, Juan Soto are generational talents. They're both extremely rare and going to be fantastic players the next 10 plus years. Through 318 games, Juan's career war is 11. Through 325 games, Ronald Acuna's war is 11.5. Mike Trout's offensive war through 170 games was 11.1 as a 20-year-old. Do not put anyone in the same sentence as him. I am sick and tired of it. Until people have a career flat, uh, a career OPS over one, nine years into the league, then you can talk. Stop it. You just sound stupid and it's disrespectful. No one is close to him. He is a literal god amongst men out there on the baseball field. But Ryan, I heard he was a, uh, a bad teammate because the Angels haven't made the playoffs. 
No, just just all around it's selfish. Just science. It's just science. Just science. You can't argue with it. You can't argue with it. All right, Nick, what's yours? Amanda, go next. I'm going. No, I don't have mine yet. You took no, my Verano. Go next. I, I have else. to. I have to end with a bang. I have to. I have a mic drop, and I'm not going to let you spoil it. All right. Well, I don't have one then. You'll just have to go. Oh well, that's the best thing that ever happened to the show. Um, wow, so salty. So over the weekend, words were exchanged on Twitter between myself and uh, Montgomery Davis Taylor, who uh, was was formerly our editor on on the site. Um, since then, Monty has been placed on, uh, you know, a suspension indefinitely. Um, he has demanded that I issue a an apology for what transpired, and I would just like to, uh, you know, take this opportunity to talk to Monty directly and say that I apologize for absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I, I think the best way forward would be for Monty to apologize to me and to the rest of Half Street High Heat and our heaters for creating this unnecessary divide within the podcast. It's completely unnecessary. It's an attention grab, and uh, he's going to have to do some uh, serious reparations before he's back in our good graces. graces. And uh, I don't think he's going to be on the podcast anytime soon because he has a lot of work to do before we ever trust him again. And uh, I don't think his actions uh, reflect that of uh, Half Street High Heat's character. And uh, we're not going to allow it. We're not going to let anyone, you know, disrespect this this great podcast that we've worked so hard to build. All right. Shots fired. Okay. So we'll see. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that once this gets listened to tomorrow, there will be some hilarity ensuing on Twitter. So make sure you guys don't miss that. You guys got anything else before we get out of here? Nope. I'm good. all righty well thank you guys for joining us as always we appreciate you guys listening make sure you check us out on twitter the website halfstreethighheat.com and check out the youtube channel and we will talk in a couple of days there's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the potomac a new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents the nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later let's go Nats we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's go Nats we're gonna score for score we're gonna win for sure so call your local congressman we need another monument the Nats are rolling on the wind we're holding By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play, we're gonna win today Let's go
know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.